You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. It is a beautiful Sunday morning today. If you're new with us, Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Marco. I am the lead pastor here. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend and worshiping with us. Hey, quick announcement. I know Victoria just told you about no services here on Sunday, December 25th, but we will have services on January 1st, okay? So that's going to be a communion Sunday. It's going to look a little different from normal Sundays. So we're going to have communion, we're going to have extra worship, and the message is going to be centered around, actually, sort of the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to do some reflection time, some prayer, and again, a bit of extended worship. We would love for you to be here on January 1st, same times, 9.30 and 11.15, so don't stay up all night, all right? If you do come to 11.15, you can make it, all right? And come and worship with us as we kick off the new year reflecting on the gospel of Jesus and the goodness of God. Well, today, listen, we are in part number two of this message series. This is kind of our Advent message series for the year, and it's simply entitled Christmas, The Gift of Hope. And last week, if you were with us, we talked about Jesus, of course, because he's the centerpiece of this. Jesus is hope for the sinner. And guess who's the sinner? All of you and all of me, right? Hope for the sinner. And we broke down a theology of sin because a lot of people don't even understand what that truly means. We learned that in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into our world and literally fractured everything, including our relationship with God. Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out, in other words. But right in the middle of their turmoil, right in the middle of their sin, here's what God does. It's pretty cool. God actually makes this prophetic pronouncement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can look it up yourself. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's the second half of verse 15. Basically, God says this. There's going to come one from you, Eve, who is going to crush the head of Satan. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Jesus is the serpent crusher, right? He's talking about, of course, the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I love this because right in the middle of, like, the blame game and the blame shifting and, no, he did this, he did that, and we're hiding from God and we're fearful, right in the middle of that dark moment, God says, listen, Satan, you think you've won, but there's one who's coming after you, and he will crush your head. And, of course, Jesus goes on to live the perfect life and die the death that we deserved, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering the grave. And Jesus is hope for the sinner. And today's message, we're going to go to the New Testament, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at three different parables. What is a parable? Some of you don't know what that means. A parable is really just a story. And there are three different stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15 to really talk about the love of the Father. And we'll read almost the entire chapter together, 
but we will stop at verse number 24. I'm going to do this on purpose because I'm going to save the rest of those verses for next week's message, okay? So we're going to look at Luke 15, verses 1 through 24, and we're going to talk about today Jesus' hope for the prodigal. Jesus' hope for the prodigal, or we could have entitled this Jesus' hope for the lost. It's essentially the same thing. If you have a Bible with you or um, iPhone, Android, whatever your device is, I would love for you to follow along with me as we read through Luke chapter 15. Um, If you don't have a phone, that's awesome, but you can follow along with me behind me as well, and the verses will be on the screen. So here's what it says, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number one. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is Jesus' audience. I love that Luke gives us a picture of that. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, it's the religious people, those who are always complaining about something in the church, this man welcome sinners and eats with them, right? Verse number three, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. (laughs) Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse number eight. Or suppose, this is the second parable now, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels um, of God over one sinner, here it is again, who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Now, this is the final parable. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there, what does he do? He squandered his wealth in wild living. So basically, he packs his bags, he heads in his car, heads out to Vegas, right, and He's going to blow all of his money on women, on slot machines, on drinks and food, and he's going to go live a wild life. Verse number 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. He's already planning what he wants to say to dad. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found so they begin to celebrate. We'll just stop right there, and we'll dive into our message. If you wouldn't mind, let's just pray together for a few moments, and we'll unpack these stories uh, for us today. Uh, Father in heaven, um, I'm just reminded of the song that we just sang of what Sarah so powerfully led us into. Uh, the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you're mine. And Father, I, that might be some of our stories today. We thought that the enemy had us. We thought that we were dead. Uh, we thought that the marriage was going to be broken. Uh, we were going to lose our kids. We, we thought that we were going to go bankrupt. Uh, we thought that the relationship was over. We thought that the mortgage couldn't be paid. We thought, Lord, we, we were headed to the grave, literally. But Jesus, you had a different plan. You came to rescue us, to save us to show us how maybe we were far from you. But either way, you showed us compassion. You rescued us from death. You rescued us from bankruptcy. You rescued us from divorce. You rescued us from whatever situation. Maybe we're here and we're walking through that, rather. And Lord, remind us that you can still rescue. And even if we walk through the valley of shadow of death, even if we go through the fire, you are with us. So, Lord, even if the story ends badly, it might remind us that you are with us. And if you're with us, if you're for us, God, no one can be against us. We are found secure in the palm of your hand. So, God, would you, by, by your Holy Spirit, would you um, soften hardened hearts? Would you unlock deaf ears? Would you open blind eyes to come and see you today? Lord, I want people to know you. Lord, I want attenders to become devoted followers of Jesus today, God. Lord, would you just draw us near to you? We trust you with our lives, and we trust you with our kids, and we trust you with our homes. We thank you for the work that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. I want to ask you a question this morning, kind of set the stage for um, where we're going in this message let me just ask you a question. Of course, you don't have to answer it. But what is the Bible? Have you ever thought about this? What does the Bible mean when it says that someone is lost? Maybe you've never thought about that question. Maybe you've asked that question yourself. What does it mean when we describe someone as being lost? Have you ever used that term? Maybe you've heard someone use that term to describe someone in their family. I've had people say that to me. Many of you have said, hey, would you pray for so-and-so? She is so lost. 
Hey, would you pray for him? He is lost, and he's looking for purpose. He can't seem to find it, and he's an addict, and I want him to come home. He's so lost. Hey, would you pray for mom? Mom is not the same. I wish she would. I wish she was the same mom I knew 10 years ago, but she's not. I don't know what's going on quite frankly, but I know she's lost. And maybe you've used that word, that, you know, that term to describe someone. So the idea of being lost can, be, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? What I want to do is I want to just give you two different lists. Now, the first list is how we see it used explicitly in the Bible, okay? So explicitly in the Bible, how is that word used? What is it used to mean or describe when it says that someone is lost? So here, here's number one. Number one, it can mean this, Jewish people who do not recognize the Messiah. When, when the Bible says that people are lost, or specifically a group of people are lost, it can mean Jewish people who do not recognize the Messiah. In other words, their Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, here's what Jesus says. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. He says, go rather to who, church? The lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is referring to his own people who do not recognize him. This is actually what John chapter 1 says. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. Now, we know this is true still today, don't we? There are many Jewish people who do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They do not recognize Jesus as their Savior. Now, we believe, according to Scripture, that many Jews will actually um, find hope, find faith in Christ. It's going to be amazing. But right now, we see many Jews who are far from the Messiah. When Carrie and I, we were in Jerusalem, we were at the Wailing Wall, and we were observing from a distance the many Jews who were praying at the wall, at the Wailing Wall. And part of it was a bit heartbreaking, if I can be honest, because many of those Jews were praying, but they weren't praying to the Messiah. They were praying that their Messiah would be revealed to them. And so in that moment, our group of people, we actually, we were heartbroken, and we began to pray for the Jews who did not know the Messiah. And, I, and you should pray for that as well. That's biblical. So it can mean that, to be lost, to people who don't know the Messiah, Jewish people. Number two, it can mean this, one who wanders away from the flock of God. One who wanders away from the flock of God. We just read that a few moments ago, right? Luke 15, verses 5 and 6, it says this, and when he finds it, he's talking about that parable of the lost sheep. He joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders, and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my, what, what does it say there, church? My lost sheep. Yeah, I found my lost sheep. So what's happening in the story? Well, in the story, one of the sheep has wandered from the flock. One of the sheep has wandered from the flock. And did you know this, that when a sheep wanders from its flock, it becomes much more susceptible to the attacks of the enemy, right? When a sheep gets all by himself, all by herself, that happens still today. 
they become more susceptible to the attack from Satan. Why? Because, well, because they're all alone, right? They're all alone. Darkness, seclusion, that is the enemy's playground. He loves to pull people from the flock of God and then attack them, right? And so it would help me if you would do me a favor. Could you do me a favor, church? I'm hoping you will be able to. If you know someone who should be here and they're not, and they have not been present, would you text them today maybe? Would you send them a message and say, hey, I, I would love to see you here. It's been a while since you showed up. I don't know what's going on, but it'd be great to have you come back. Or if you just want to get coffee, hey, um, come on, let's, let's grab coffee together and let's talk and let's see what's going on. So those of you, or those people who have wandered from the flock, the scripture would describe them as being what? Lost. Finally, number three, the Bible uses lost to describe those who live in open rebellion to God. Those who live in open rebellion to God. And again, we just read this a few moments ago, didn't we? This was the story of the prodigal son, the story of the lost son. Luke 15, 23 and 24, the father says this, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And then what does it say? He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Now in the story, you already read it. We already read it together. But what happens in the story, now the son essentially wishes that his father was dead. Well, it doesn't say that, Marco. I realize that. But he's asking for his share of the estate. So that is the equivalent of saying, Dad, give me the money. I want, I'd rather have you dead. I'm out of here. My buddies are waiting in the car for me. We're headed to Vegas. I got some lady friends who are waiting for me. We got some nice drinks. We got the all-you-can-eat buffet right on the strip. And we're headed to Vegas. He wants his father dead. What is he doing? Well, he, he's rejecting dad. He's rejecting his father's authority. He's rejecting all that his father has given him in the same way. Listen, those who live in re open rebellion to God, it's the same way. They're rejecting their heavenly father and what God wants to do in and through their lives. Those who live in open rebellion to God, you might know a few people. I know some. Listen, the Bible would describe them as being lost. Now, I want to show you three different ways that we can use this practically in our lives. Like when we use that word lost to describe other people. This is a bit more practical, okay? But you may have said this. You may have been in a conversation where this was said. Uh, number one, sometimes lost can describe losing our way in life as a result of losing a job. You've been laid off. You went through a divorce, an ugly divorce, or the death of a loved one you might be described as lost. And this is not an insult, so please do not receive it that way. Maybe you're here and that's your story. You're just, you're going through a season. You don't know how you fit in here. You don't know where you belong. You don't know who your friends are. You know what I mean? You just, you find like, you're just out of place and it just feels like you're just uncomfortable with, in your own skin and you don't know where you belong. You're in a place in life you just, you never thought you'd be here. You know what I mean? This is not the road that you chose for yourself. And yet, you find yourself here, broken, turmoil, questions, right? Trying to figure out what life is all about. 
And you get the sense, you may not know where you belong, but you get the sense that you belong here and that you're supposed to be here for a reason. And that's God, church. That is God. He's, he's pursuing you. Number two, loss can describe those with destructive habits such as drug or alcohol abuse as a result of coping with internal pain and trauma. This is really important because I feel like I see so much pain and trauma and addiction in the body of Christ today. So much of this pain and this trauma. Maybe you would describe yourself as someone who loves God, but you're caught in this cycle of addiction. You know what I mean? It's like you, 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 you can't just have one drink. You can't just have two drinks. It's like, it's like four, five, six. It's, you know, it's just a cycle of addiction. You keep going back to these images on the internet. And if, you knew, if, you, if your wife found out, she would literally murder you, right? She would. She would hang you. Like, she, would, she, would, she would kill you, right? You know, and you know this. But you can't seem to break free. Like, seriously, you can't seem to, to break free. And what's going on is there are these deep issues in your heart. And you would say, I believe in God. Fantastic. But there's these deep issues in your heart that remain unresolved. Therefore, as a means to cope, you pick up the cigarette again, right? You visit one of 700 weed shops in Bay City, right? <laughs> more bar, there, I, there are more weed shops than bars, probably. I don't know that, but that could be true. One of you probably knows that, okay? The idea is, you laugh because you know it's true, but the idea is, no matter what the substance or the thing is for you, you, you just keep going back to it, and you want to be free. And can I just say, friends, if that's you, that God's will for your life is not for you to just believe in God and be an addict your whole life. That's, that's not God's will for your life. There's something broken if that's who you are. There's something that needs to be addressed. And I'm not trying to call you up. I'm simply saying, listen, I want you to submit it to the Lord Jesus Christ today. I want you to submit that to him today. Number three, loss can be used to describe those finding their identity in other things besides Jesus Christ. And we do this. Everyone does this, right? Here's the reality is that there's a generation of lost young people right now. And they don't know who they are. They can't figure out who they are sexually. They can't figure out the gender. They can't figure out their identity um, physically. And so they're trying to find this identity. And what they're doing is they're looking in every other place but Jesus. That has resulted in a generation of massive confusion. Massive confusion. That is not the will of God. If you're here today... I'm not making fun of you. I'm not insulting you. And you, you're trying to figure out what, your gender. You're trying to figure out um, your sexual identity. You're trying to figure out the right relationship, romantic relationship. Listen, I want you to submit that to Jesus today. I want you to come under the blood of Christ, be reconciled to him, be awakened to faith, find healing in the cross of Jesus. The Bible might describe you as lost, because why? Because you don't really know who you are, and you're searching, and you're searching, and you're searching. But so often, you guys, I see this in the church too, so often people are looking in all the wrong places, and it's so heartbreaking because, man, you know these people, 
and you know they have so much potential, they have so much talent, skill, and it's so heartbreaking because they're looking for purpose in everything but God. And it's just, oh, I can't describe to you the heartbreak that I experience when I see that. Now, in reality, maybe some of you, like all three of those things I just described, that's you. All three of those things. You're here this morning. You lost your job. You're going through an ugly divorce. Because of that, you need to cope. So it's the extra case of Miller Lite, Bush Lite, whatever your light is. That fills your refrigerator, right? It's the frequenting the weed shop a little too often. It's not because your eyes are bad. It's because something else is going on, whatever it is, right? It's, it's the addiction that's taken over your life. And because of all those things, listen, now you've lost your way. You're finding identities in other things. Besides Jesus, you're in a, you're in a relationship that is just toxic, like, it's like you fight, you argue, there's abuse, there's, um, I mean, just things that are just toxic for your soul. Maybe you find yourself here. All three of these things are true of you. I, I would say, listen, I would say that you're lost. Now, again, I'm not trying to insult you, but I am trying to say this. Until you become aware of your situation, until then, only then, at that point, then you can begin to receive help. So many people deny these things. They're like, I'm fine. It's like, it's just one drink. He only hits me once every week. It's, it's okay. I mean, we, I, don't, I, I used to sleep around, but I don't do it as often. It's like, whoa, what? Like, that is not healthy. That, you are on the road to death. Hello? Like, and if, if, if we could just get people to just acknowledge it for a moment, I'm lost. I can't find my way. This is why I drink a lot. This is why I overeat every meal. This is why I'm chasing women who are not good for me, chasing men who are not good for me. I'm lost. If, if, if you can get to that point first, man, healing can come. The grace of God can flood your life, and that's what I want for you this morning. I have a feeling that this applies to several of you today. Here's what I want to do with the rest of our time today. We looked at three different parables, and so I want to make three, just three observations. Honestly, this is like, if, if um, for you and your own study time in the Bible, you should read these parables and really dig in and take some, take some more time to study. I'm just going to give you three things that I see, but this is not exhaustive, okay? These are three things that the Holy Spirit showed me to say to you, and that's all I'm here for, to deliver a message that the Holy Spirit wants to deliver to his people. Amen, church? Okay. Here's the first observation from those three parables. Number one, the gospel, the message of the gospel is for the lost. The message of the gospel is for the lost. Remember, we opened up the scripture. What does it say? Um, right here, Luke 15, 1 and 2. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, the tax collectors and the sinners. But it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They are the ones who mutter, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. How dare Jesus eat with sinners? Now, I want you to go back to verse number one, if you would, uh, please. Go back to verse number one on the screen. I want you to look at the, the phrase that's underlined, tax collectors 
and sinners. Now, church, come on. Don't you think tax collectors could be lumped in to the category of sinners? It's like you got prostitutes, you got those who worship idols, you got those who are sexually immoral, and you got tax collectors. I mean, can't they just all lump? I mean, they're all just a bunch of sinners, right? We could just say that. Luke could have saved himself a couple of words in the Greek and just used sinners to describe tax collectors. But he doesn't. And the reason why he doesn't is because of this. This is interesting. Tax collectors were so despised by the Jewish people that they have their own category. Like, they're so despicable, and people hate them so much that they have, it's like basically saying this, they're sinners, and then there's tax collectors. They have their own category. Now, I'm dead serious in here. Listen, listen, I did a little research, and the idea is this, is that tax collecting, the tax collecting profession was saturated with people who were greedy, dishonest, and unscrupulous. Listen, the idea was this, is that tax collectors, they would hike up the tax so that they could receive a profit. And this led to all kinds of corruption. Greed just seeped into all of it, right? This is the reason why we don't trust many politicians anymore. There's so much greed. And the tax collectors were such a despised group of people, listen, that they have their own category. Jesus' very audience were those who were those who were far from him. I want you to see this. Jesus is talking to them. He's teaching to them. Of course, the Pharisees are present, but listen, he's talking with them. These are the people who need the good news the most. It's the religious people. Those who claim to know God, they're the ones who have a big problem of Jesus preaching and spending time with sinners, with tax collectors. Now, this is so important. This is why this is so important, because maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, you know, like, you know what, Marco, <laughs> I've ma- I have made a mess of my life. And you know what? I am quite dysfunctional. And you know what? I do like me a few Miller Lights, but more than a few, if you know what I mean. And you know what? I do have some really unhealthy addictions going on. What in the world would Jesus want with someone like me? And so many people, even today, you guys, Um, Even today, so many people assume that in order to approach God, you have to clean yourself up. You know what I mean? People have said to me, you know, I I can't go to church right now because I just my life's a mess. You know what I mean? So I just want to get myself together. You know, know, I'm going to go to church someday. Pastor, I'm going to show up. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. (laughs) Right. The idea is this. Did you know that every single one of us is incapable of cleaning ourselves up? So am I. And the moment you clean yourself up, the next moment you soil yourself, okay? I'm just using real language so y'all can hear me today. No one is capable of cleaning their own lives up. Only Jesus can do that. And so what does that mean? This is is my message. This is my heart for you. Right now, wherever you're at, Jesus wants a relationship with you. I want you to hear that this morning. Wherever you're at, in your dysfunction, in your mess, in your addiction, Right? Whatever it looks like for you, Jesus wants a relationship with you right now. The idea is this, is that Jesus, listen, he wants to come in, and he wants to restore, he wants to heal, he wants to put back together the broken, 
tattered pieces of your life, the broken relationships, all the, all the messed up relationships, all the, the ways that you've sinned, all the way that you are dysfunctional, all the, uh, the addictions, all the habits that your family hates. Listen, Jesus is wanting to come in to your life this Christmas, listen, and restore all things and make things new. He doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He wants a relationship with you right now, and he wants to begin to make all things new. Let me just ask you a question. Today, are you or have you lost your way today? Are you a prodigal? Are you a runaway? Can I just tell you and remind you, Jesus is hope for you today because the gospel, listen, is for the lost. It's for you. It's for me. We could all lose our way in life at times. The gospel message is for me too. I've been saved for a couple decades, and the gospel's for me. The good news is for me. I need the good news every day, just like you do. Number two, second observation is this. Our heavenly Father is passionately pursuing the lost. Our heavenly Father is passionately pursuing the lost. Did you notice we read three parables in each one of those parables? Pretty amazing. The main character, um, the shepherd, Uh, the woman with the lost coin, and the father, what are they all doing? They are passionately pursuing the thing that's lost. In fact, um, the shepherd is going after that one sheep, and there's 99 others. Some of you are like, what's the big deal? Like, there's 99 others, and hey, that sheep deserves it, right? He's going off on his own. I hope he does get clawed by a wolf, right? But the shepherd, listen, is like, no, That one sheep, I got to go out and find it. I got to return it. I got to get it back home. The woman, what does she do? She sweeps her house. She's going, she lights a a lamp and she's, you know, they didn't have, you know, electricity, first century homes, of course. They would light a lamp and then they would take that lamp looking everywhere for that coin. What does the father do in the last parable? Well, the, the scripture tells us that he saw his son from a distance. What does that tell you? It tells us that he was looking. He's like, man, where is he? i got to have my son back. I want my son. He's got one in the home. He's got one in obedience. But the idea is he's got one missing. And this is a picture of our heavenly father. In fact, the father in the last parable, what does he do when he sees his son? He runs towards him. And this was undignified for a man of his stature, a wealthy landowner. This was undignified for him to sort of lift up, you know, his garments and go running after his son like, son, I see you. And he's making a fool of himself in some sense, but he doesn't care because why? He's passionately pursuing the son. Can I just tell you right now today, listen, that God is pursuing you. You may stiff arm them, and you may reject them, and may, you may not really want a lot to do with them. And I get that. Been there, done that. But he's pursuing you, and he will not stop until he get what, what he wants. In fact, the scripture says that he's wishing that no, that, um, that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? So that many would know, repentance to salvation. This is one of the reasons why God delays the return of Jesus Christ, because he wants more people to repent, to turn to him. That's why. Number three, third observation. Heaven rejoices when one sinner, and the underlying word there is repents. This is really interesting because the point of every single parable is uh, the, the sheep that's wandered, the coin that was lost, the son that, 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 
the prodigal who went away, all ends up coming back. They return to where they first started. This is the point of the parables. It doesn't say anything in the scripture, anything in the text about how all of heaven rejoices when one sinner believes in God. It doesn't say that. Now, if you believe in God, I'm, I, I want that. Trust me, I, I do want that. That's a good thing, okay? But the scripture doesn't say heaven rejoices when somebody believes in God. Repentance is the Greek word metanoia. You've heard this before. Metanoia means a, a change of mind. This is epitomized in the last parable. How do we know? Because I think it's verse 17, maybe it was. What does it say? It says, when the son came to his senses. It's an aha moment. Like the light bulb goes on. Like what I'm doing is not cool. My father has got all the good food. My father truly has the all-you-can-eat buffet. My father has the best stuff. And what am I doing? I'm playing with pigs. I'm wallowing in the mud. I'm trying to find a meal. What am I doing here? I'm such an idiot. And he has a change of mind. And what happens? Because he has a change of mind, there's a change in direction. A change in direction. But I want you to notice here that the scripture is very clear. The Bible does not say heaven rejoices when someone says they believe in God. The Bible does not say heaven rejoices when someone feels bad that they got caught. The Bible says heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of action. A change of action, a change of life, right? Repentance is, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is not, I'm sorry you feel this way. Have you ever heard that? That's a, I got to be careful what I say. That is <laughs> such a, yeah. That's not repentance. Oh, you're sorry that I feel bad. Thank you. No, 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 no. I want to hear how you're sorry. Not how you're sorry that I'm hurt or offended. That is such garbage. That is such a weak substitute for repentance. Repentance, listen, listen it's, it's, a, it's a change of mind. Listen, repentance should always be made evident through a changed life. All right, I'm just going to say it how it is. Repentance should always be evidenced in and through a changed life. I don't care if someone believes in God. That's awesome. But demons believe in God too. So I don't care about your uncle who believes in God. I'm just going to say it like it is because too many people think that they're good when they're not. I want to see sinners repent. And when they repent, heaven throws a party. Heaven throws a party. You didn't come to Sunday morning for me to tickle your ears, for me to dance around this stuff. You came here so I could tell you the truth. God is not looking for those who just believe God exists. He's looking for those who will repent. So what do we learn from all of this this morning? What, what can we learn? So many nuggets we can take away. I think one of our big ideas for this morning is this. Even when you're not looking for God, God comes looking for you. Come on, let's clap our hands this morning. Even when, church, even when you're not looking for God, and I don't know where every one of you are at this morning, maybe you're far from God, maybe you're just like 
trying to figure it out. And I get that. I get that. There's room for that. I promise you, there is room for that. And the amazing thing is, though, check it out. The amazing thing is, is that even when you're not looking for him, he is looking for you. He's coming after you. And yeah, in your mess, in your dysfunction, in your, your, the things that you really just dislike about yourself, you hate about yourself, your insecurities, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not good enough here. I'm not good enough there. No, 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 no. All, all of that mess that we make of ourselves, you know what I mean? All those insecurities that pile up, God is pursuing you. He wants a relationship. He wants repentance. He wants you to turn away from the things that you've used, that you've run to to replace Him. That's what He wants this morning. He wants to heal your heart, to reconcile you to the Father. I want you to be reminded of these three things. The gospel is for the lost. The gospel is for the lost, not those who have their lives all put together, not those who think they're perfect, not those who have a perfect attendance record at Radiant Church. Nope. Number two, our Heavenly Father is pursuing the lost. He's in pursuit of you. Number three, again, heaven rejoices. Heaven throws a party when one sinner turns away, turns away from their brokenness, and they begin to just acknowledge, God, I'm lost, I'm blind, I need a Savior. That's what Jesus wants to do this morning. Listen, I don't want you to just have another Christmas where you have, you know, 75 presents under the tree. Some of you, are, that's what you're going to experience this year. Praise God for that. Every good gift comes from above. We know this. James chapter 1 says this. But if you just receive those gifts and you don't receive the gift that hung on the cross for you, you've missed out. You haven't really received your salvation. You haven't received life, new life. And I want that this morning for you. Lost to come home. Prodigals to come back home. Those, to, those who would confess their sins before Jesus and say, I'm a sinner. I need saving. I can't clean myself up. I can't do anything that will merit the favor of God. Nothing. Prayer team, if you want to come up right now, I want the prayer team to come up right now if you're here with us. And if you're not here, go get them. We're going to just stay in this moment just for a few more moments. Pastor Jacob is going to just sing over us a couple choruses. And then I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just invite you to come up, those who are looking to come home. And I don't want you to be obsessed with what people will think. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you, okay? What matters is what he thinks about you. I want you to, I'm going to invite you to come up to pray with our prayer team to come, maybe just to take a knee and pray. We'll leave you alone. We will respect you. If you don't, if you just want to do business with God, I, I, our prayer team will leave you alone until you get up and maybe approach them. We'll let you do business with God. Fair enough. Fair enough. But this is not really about anybody except for you and Jesus. Pastor Jacob, would you?